Um, and I had always done this naturally when I was in my grad program and in my critique groups. But when I first started working for Laura Renner, who's an executive agent at our agency, she told me her approach to editorial is that everything that is not working is an opportunity to make it better. Every negative is actually a positive. Hi, and welcome to You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Brenna Jenneret, children's lit author, mom, rock climber, and co-host of this podcast. My co-host, Josh Munkin, is a children's lit author, dad, and science communicator. Today's guest is the one and only Jennifer March Soloway. We covered queries, cliffhangers, rejections, and Jennifer's love of bad guys. Most likely, if you're listening to this, you already know who Jennifer is. But did you know she loves horror? Seriously, send it all to her. Or that she once did a product copy for something called Glam in a Can? There's so much packed into this episode, including at least one place where police sirens make an appearance in the background because, well, San Francisco. So let's dive in. Here's Jennifer's verse. I wonder if I even give this tidbit. I think I will. Um, because this happened to me like all in about the same year. So I love picture books. I love chapter books. I love middle grade, but truly my sweet spot and, and special place is young adult. I am still 16 inside my head, still fighting with my mother, <laughs> still about to get sent away to boarding school and um, still at boarding school with my boyfriend getting expelled. Um, and <laughs> oh, we'll it. put it. We'll put a pin in that for later. You can, I, yeah, I don't think I've shared that one before. Anyway, um, and uh, and so, but I signed a couple of people for picture books and chapter books, like early uh, children's books, um, which, and I love their work. And then two of my clients that I signed for, you know, the young stuff turned around and surprised me with YA. So, so I've been working on this YA and I was like, what? Actually, no, I've got at least three clients who've done this to me. Um, I was like, what? <laughs> and, and then, um, and then they sent it to me and like, I didn't know what to expect. Right. Like they were picture right. books. Can they do YA? And I was blown away. Like where I was like, so greedy, like, Oh, I only have 50 pages, but you can't leave me here. What? <laughs> It's so good. So now um, I've, it's, it's taken every bone in my body to restrain myself from not pinging my clients every five minutes. Like, so have you finished that YA yet? Have you finished that YA? I really so, the, that YA. so the tables have totally turned where it's like, oh, please like, tell me, did you like me? Did you like me? Did you see my query? Are you going to get back to me? Like, are you open yet? And it's like totally switched. That's whoever's listening to this. That is what, how you have to do it. Like write something so good that Jennifer is like, please give me more. Like, well, I'll, ding, ding, yeah, ding. that's the big secret. That is a big secret. So, um, and it's not a big secret. I tell everybody. Um, and I do this when I go on submission with a proposal too, which I don't always do. And we can talk about that later, but anytime you're going to send a partial of any kind, I highly recommend ending on a big cliffhanger, something that just sticks in the reader where they just have to know the answer. And I am exactly that way. Um, and even if you're sending a synopsis, so like, you know, if when you sell something on proposal, you'll provide a full synopsis and then you provide the sample chapters. I always encourage my clients to still end on some kind of cliffhanger that's not um, necessarily spelled out in the synopsis. 
um, because so that the so that whoever's reading it is going to want to buy the project so they can find out the question that's raised in that last page. And usually it's something an emotional stake or an emotional question, like what's going to happen now that, you know, now that the character has found this out or how does the character feel about this? So, you know, um, like we'll know the plot from the synopsis, but we won't know all the fine details of the emotions. And if you even think about, I, I love to binge watch TV and just like everybody else, when I get to the end of the episode, even if the episode's like boring and a throw, have you noticed this? Like there'll be like episodes where you're like, oh God, this was dry and slow. But then they're like, end yeah. on this huge cliffhanger. And you're like, wait, what? I've got to go on to the next episode. I'm going to stay until four in the morning watching all of this. And that's yes. what I, that's what I recommend to everyone who's sending me your first 10 pages end on that emotional note where I'm just like, oh, what are they going to do? And then I will, I'll request it and read. <laughs> it's so funny. I was just thinking about the show Lost the other day. I mean, oh, yeah. what a template for cliffhangers and uh, leaving people wanting more. And so I have a theory the about Lost. Oh, Let's talk about Lost. This, this was is, not expected, but let's get it. This is my theory about Lost. So, so Lost is completely preposterous, right? And like, what? Like, there were like all these plot elements. You're like, what? Where did this come from? So and I true. seriously think that all those, those guys were in the writing room, like, <laughs> dude, what if we put some polar bears on the island? And for, then for the, for the listening audience, you can imagine what Jennifer is doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, and then the, and then the other guy goes, but wait, how are we going to explain polar bears on the island? And then the first guy goes, who cares? We're going to get canceled. And then they didn't. And then because they to, of the polar bears. Because, and then they had to figure out like, oh my God, wait, what are the polar bears doing there? How do we, how do we write this? And that's why I think that the plot was just like this crazy, like what is happening in the show? And I think nice. they just kind of spun out of control. Like it kind of like unravels after a while, right? Like at first it's yes. up like, these guys are genius. Like, this stuff is so like intriguing. Like what is going on here? And then you're like, oh, they have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Cause I was lost like several yeah, times. Everyone pretty, was lost. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone's lost and lost the name of the show. Yeah, exactly. Also, Jennifer, your stoner guy impression is <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's talk about how that's so good. <laughs> I had many a friend who indulged. I actually mm -hmm. do not indulge. <laughs> I, this is not a secret either, but I'm actually sober. So I, I, and I quit when I was 22. So haven't done anything for a very, very long time, but I've, I've experimented. You, did, you didn't do so much that you forgot what it was like. <laughs> well, that was not my drug of choice, but um, sitting around a lot of people who did it. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of friends in college like that too. And I, not that I did not partake, but it wasn't my, I was like, this is too much for me. Like, I can't, I just can't hang. Like my tolerance is super low across the board for anything. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm good. But yeah, I like, I know those people. I have those people in my life. Totally. So like, yeah. Well, and I, and I'm sure everyone out there can probably imagine I'm not exactly, I'm kind of a high strung person, <laughs> a little nervous, a little anxious. And so I didn't have a good reaction to that drug. Like, you know, mm. every, everyone else mellows out. I get super paranoid. What? Huh? Oh my that's gosh. Not, that's, that's the worst, right? That's, no, that's not enjoyable. That's not how you want to spend a Saturday. But anyway, I didn't mean to go to that route. I really I, don't talk about I, drugs that much. I have to. Th it's not my I, thing. 
I have to finish this, this part of the drugs conversation with something else that's fresh. <laughs> and then we'll move on. The Mitch Hedberg line. Um, I used to do drugs. I still do, but I also used to. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, well said. Very poetic. Well, I really don't anymore. I don't at all. And actually, no. a couple of my clients have said, you know what? I love that you're sober. It's, nice. it's good to have a sober agent. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Having an agent probably can be sobering. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's too mm-hmm. true. But um, on the note of rejection, though, because you said, you know, all the people are like worried about being rejected. And I know it sucks. It's so terrible. Like, I also get rejected. I have offered to several people this year who have turned me down and gone to other people. Wait a minute. For oh. agenting, like someone turned you down for they real. Me I mean, went. you you are like I mean. So we didn't <laughs> we didn't start with this, but like you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Like we we're so happy to have you here, oh, and having you having you be so generous with your time, and immediately just being like, yeah, I'll be on your podcast, even though you know <laughs> I don't know who you people are. You know, we were just like, this is great, like this is so incredible, but. I also, I mean, you are a big agent name. Everybody knows oh, Jennifer March Solway. I oh, mean, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of a big deal. You're kind of a big deal. So, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't, yeah, okay. I'm, great. I'm just, I'm just really surprised that that you got turned down. That's really, yeah. I'm just well. Surprised. But here's the thing, and and I encourage everyone else to have this attitude as much as you can. And I know it's really hard. Um. I am looking for a really great fit. I'm looking for someone who I'm excited to work with and they're excited to work with me. And we have this beautiful synergy and trust and really great communication. And like, we, I I love it when I click editorially with my clients and I can give ideas and, and they resonate and we move on. Or even if I come up with a suggestion and it doesn't work that we're able to talk through it, move on. That's what I'm really looking for. And So every time I offer to someone, and I mean this sincerely and genuinely, um, I always say, take two weeks to decide, explore your other options, really do your due diligence. And if someone else is a better fit, it's going to be okay. We can still have coffee at the conference. I'm still going to love your writing. I'm still going to support you, but I really want, it's a big deal to have an agent and it's a long career move and a long relationship, hopefully that lasts for a long time and you want it to be right it's like it's like getting married without dating like you want to have you want to get the right partner and if i'm not the right partner for them they're doing both of us a favor by going with the person who is and it's re- and it's okay and it's it's better so it hurts but it's but it actually doesn't hurt because i figured they're better off and i figure someone else is going to be around the corner that is going to be that perfect fit for me well and there's there's the double vibe too, right? It's like you can hit it off personally. You can hit it off editorially. The two may not overlap. Clearly we're having a good time here, Mm -hmm. but you know, I may sub something to you and it's just not right. It just doesn't make sense to be part of the list. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe I already have something in the same vein, Mm -hmm. or maybe I just don't have a good vision for it, or maybe I'm not sure how to pitch it, or maybe I don't know the right network of people Mm -hmm. to, you know, like there's lots of different things. I never thought about an agent relationship being stuck in the friend zone, but I feel like this is a an apt metaphor for that. Like, oh. you know, well, like we I have start, a lot of, can... I, I do, I feel like I am friends with, with many of my clients. Like I really like them as people. So it's not necessarily that, but I mean, it's more that, um, you know, 
if there's something that's not the right fit, like if there's something that I don't offer that someone else does, they should go with that person. That's, that's the right, that's the right move. And, and it will be okay. And maybe, who knows, maybe they'll come back to me someday. Yeah, right. <laughs> the one that got uh, My door is usually open. If someone turns me down, it doesn't work. If the timing's not right, that's okay. Maybe later. <laughs> and, and, and here's the sort of like pra practical, practical discussion we can have. It's like, what, what are the ways in which you can suss that out through the query process, through the, the, the call capital T C mm. through the waiting two weeks. I mean, it's hard. Wait, are to... you talking on the agent side or are you talking on the author side? On the, on the author side. Okay. Uh, it's, I it's hard to know if I, yeah, if I sub to you, how am I going to know if you, if you, if we have the call and you make an offer, how am I going to know that it's going to be a good editorial fit? I mean, I could send you more work and get some comments from you, but I mean, what's the experience been like? So, um, almost always with a slight exception, if you send it to me and you, then you have an offer two days letter and I don't have time to turn it around. I provide notes when I offer because it's very important, or if I've already worked with you editorially before, like at a conference or I've given you a, a critique or you've been in my group at Big Sur, I might not do as much notes, but I always provide notes when I offer for two reasons. Um, one, I think it's one of my big strengths and I want um, to, to show the value that I hope to bring to the table. But two, it is an opportunity for the writer to have a sense of my editorial style and if it's gonna work for them. I have a very particular style. It, I think it works for a lot of people. There are other people it doesn't work for, and that's okay. And I always joke around, you know, now you've got a sense of my style, and if you like it, you feel like it's going to be a good fit, yay, like we might be great together. And if not, run. I'm not the right person, and that's okay. And, and you're doing me a favor. If you don't like my editorial style, you should not go with me. It's mm -hmm. not going to be happy for either one of us. Um, and so... The maybe the next question is what is my editorial style? Uh, just you, very you, <laughs> doing my job for me. <laughs> yeah, just very yeah. Well, well, just very briefly. Um, I'm not one of those. Uh, I'm not. My style isn't going to be like direct. Like chapter two doesn't work. Cut this. You know this is confusing. You know get rid of these three characters. Um, instead, um, and I had always done this naturally when I was in my grad program and in my critique groups. But when I first started working for Laura Renner, who's an executive agent at our agency, she told me her approach to editorial is that everything that is not working is an opportunity to make it better. Every negative is actually a positive. And I really believe that. And so when I like to give notes, um, first of all, I like to tell a writer what I think is really working well because I don't know about anybody else when I'm, but when I'm working on something, especially if I'm really close to it, sometimes it feels like nothing is working. Yes. So I think it's important to know what is working well and like, don't change this. This is great. Um, and then whatever is quote unquote, not working is actually an opportunity to elevate the story, to add more depth, to add more emotion, to like come up with a new twist. There's so many great possibilities and I really believe in the power of revision. And so I try to be very positive and encouraging. I tend to be prescriptive because I used to work in marketing and I feel like nobody knows what they want until they see it. So I used to, when I was in marketing, I used to just throw out a bunch of ideas and then, you know, everyone would look at them and go, 
no, we don't like any of these, but what about this? And that's the way I work editorially as well. I'll say, hey, like, I'm not sure how she feels about this other character. I could see her feeling this way or that way or this other way. Um, and if and if the writer says, oh, she feels that way, you nailed it. Great, run with it, perfect. But if I don't, but if none of my ideas are right, but it triggers the correct feeling in their mind and they say, what about this? That's even better. Like I, I'm just trying to help them find their story. And so anyway, that's my, that's my approach. But, um, and I try to do it very kind and loving and um, encouraging and inspiring. I'm, but I'm not like direct and harsh. So if you're looking for that, it's not me. <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about this later because I want to ask about your your background in PR and marketing. But I I, oh, okay. I also I work in communications and marketing and PR, write media pitches and things. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll connect on that. All right. the, the one one thing that's come <laughs> up in the in the day job has been, um, I had a boss one time that said um, she had a velvet hammer that she would bring down editorially. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I love that. and be very very clear on what wasn't working, um, and just yeah, that's know, that's what an I opportunity. To do. But also if someone feels like, no, this is my vision. And even if we disagree, you know, I'm it's, it, in the end, it is my client's dream and it's their project. And so I will tell them, listen, I disagree. Or I think this might make this hard to sell, but mm. if they want to try, we'll try. And then if they can, if, and if they're right, awesome. We sell it. Fantastic. I am happy for them to tell me, told you so. Um, and if not, then we'll regroup, uh, revise and move forward. And we, and we, I think hit on this with our, our conversation with Caitlin, um, this notion that, you know, you, you don't have, you don't have to take all my suggestions. I mean, especially when you're doing something like, like your editorial approach where it's spaghetti at the wall, you could take this in a lot of different directions, incorporate what's useful to you and throw away the rest. Um, that really gets at, I mean, it's an editorial style that complements this notion that the artist's vision or the author's vision is what's most important, not yeah. you as a filter for what you think is going to be acceptable. Exactly. I do. Well, I will say, though, that, you know, even though I, I act this way, I do as well sometimes have very strong opinions. And I might say, let's get on the phone. <laughs> I'm going to make my case. But, <laughs> uh, but even then, yes, ultimately is their book. I, I feel like that's where the relationship is built between client and agent. You know, if you can go back and forth in the editorial sense and sort of land on, you know, not a compromise necessarily, but, you know, something that everybody is pleased with to move forward or you can, you know, you can work together in that way. I think that's a really telling um, thing to look for if you're, you know, if you're querying and looking for an agent that you can, you guys can work together, you know, towards like the common goal. But some people are not looking for editorial agents either. And if you're That's not true, looking yeah. for an editorial agent, I'm probably not the right person for you because I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had any client breakups like have on either side? Yeah. How I feel like that must be, is it just as hard as like an actual breakup? Or is it like, yeah. you know, like a whole, yeah. Yes, it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something I want. That's why I try very hard to make sure it's a good fit in the beginning. Mm. Um, Definitely. And sometimes, and there's lots of different reasons why you might part ways. You might like realize that you're no longer the right fit together, like editorially or otherwise. Sometimes people's lives go in different directions and they're not doing, they're not 
you know, is focused on the same goals anymore or, you know, some, um, there's many different reasons why. Or, or they start surprising you with YA and you're just like, you know what? No, we didn't agree to this. <laughs> just no, get out. Not, get out. No, not necessarily that. Um, but also like sometimes if I feel like I'm not necessarily the right editorial fit, like if they're not like, sometimes it's helpful to just have a new, um, a new fresh set of eyes, a new approach, a new vision to sell things. Do you, when you, um, when you make an offer, you said that you send, you also do notes. So if, if for instance, like, are you, are you yes. sort of, <laughs> are you sort of committed to signing them regardless? Or is it sort of like, not, not a test. I'm not implying that it's a test, but like if you send notes and then you don't get anything back or they just accept everything, is it sort of a, maybe a sign that maybe oh, let me clarify together? No, let me clarify. If I'm going to make an off, like for example, um, uh, I'll give a picture book example and then I'll give a, a YA example. But, um, the picture book example is a while back now, but um, I met a great author at a conference. Um, we were both on faculty together and we just clicked. Like we just were talking, talking, and, I, and we talked about everything books, we talked about craft. Um, he has a PhD in English. Like we were just like, oh, just, it was great. <laughs> um, got along really well. Um, and I didn't think much of it. And then about a week later, he uh, queried me and said, hey, I'm looking for a new agent. I really like you. And I was like, oh, I like you too. So, uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, he's phenomenally talented. Uh, and he sent me three manuscripts and I, and I really wanted to work with him. And so I dropped everything. I wrote notes on all three and I sent those notes to him and said, I would love to have a call with you. I'm very interested in working with you. And here's those notes. Now I already had a prior relationship with him. I knew, I just knew it was going to be a very good fit. And I went very aggressively after him, um, and did that. What usually I will do is, um, is more like the, the example I'm going to give now, um, I, uh, was, I did pitch wars this year. I'd never done it before. Oh, and there was a YA manuscript that I read and was just like, this is me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just like new in my bones. And there, there are a few, few of my clients like that, like Kim Johnson, this is my America. I got her query and I was like, this is me. I'm going to work with this woman. And Aiden Thomas, I met Aiden at Mills College and I just knew. And then later we, you know, I just, anyway, it's been a beautiful relationship. And, um, and then I read the, the beginning of this book um, and it is a YA horror. And I was just like, this is me. And I decided um, Pitch Wars gets a lot of excitement. There's a lot of agents that gets to be an agent frenzy. And so I sat down with that manuscript and read it in two days. And the way I work is I, I actually read and then I'll take notes in my notebook. I had pages and pages and pages of notes for the entire manuscript. And then um, I contacted the author and said, I'd love to talk to you about possibly working together. And then we got on the call together and I gave notes on the phone. 
so we were talking and I just said, I think this is amazing. I love all about this. This is me. (laughs) This is my book. I love this. This is like everything I wanted more. Um, In fact, I was so excited that I worried that I freaked them out and they were like, I cannot take this person. Like they're a little too much. But anyway, um, (laughs) we're truly worked out. But um, um, anyway, so then, but then I said, and I see all these possibilities and these great I, and I had all these great ideas and I want to share them with you. So I gave extensive notes to the person on the phone. And then I told them if we started working together, I was prepared to get to a letter to them within days. And I did. Oh my gosh. So I, I want to know, as you've said it a couple of times, so what is it in that manuscript that speaks to you so intensely? <laughs> like what sort of, like what sorts of just like overall plot, lines or like you know pieces speaking of leaving the audience with a cliffhanger we'll get to the answer to that question after our cookie break where each week we do a bite-sized review of a book we loved josh's review this week is for nicole corner stace's julian versus parasite planet illustrated by scott brown there's not enough middle grade that takes place on other planets or outer space and this story fills a big gap in the market as far as josh is concerned At once, a far-ranging planetary adventure and a mystery to solve, it's also an exploration of independence and self-reliance. It's got just the right level of danger and a really engaging, relatable protagonist. Highly recommend. This week, I reviewed McToad Moe's Tiny Island by Tom Engelberger, illustrated by John Hendricks. I love this book because there is no overreaching lesson other than McToad Likes Thursday, Not because mowing Tiny Island is less work than mowing Big Island. In fact, you could argue it's more, but because it's something different. This book is pure ridiculous fun as we follow McToad on various modes of transportation, all of which he drives himself, to mow Tiny Island and drink lemonade. Pick yours up today. Check the show notes for the links to the authors, illustrators, and where to buy the books. Make sure to get your own reviews or library requests in, and if you really want to cover all your bases, Enter those reviews and requests into the monthly Chewy Reviewy drawing. And remember, reviews and requests are the number one thing that can help an author's sales. P.S. If Jennifer sounds a bit out of breath when we come back, it's because she suddenly had to fight off the infamous San Francisco zombies. Just kidding. She had to run to get a package. And now, back to our show. Kim Johnson, first of all, she has just has an incredible voice. Um... She writes an incredible first confiding first person narrative and her, her use of language is just, it's musical. Like I just, um, I could hear Tracy's voice in my head. I could see it was cinematic. Um, and also she's delved, she was the, uh, this is my America reads like a page turning thriller but it's also a social justice novel um, and really explores themes of race and racism and history and, um, and uh, what it's like to be a, a black girl in America and especially in Texas. It just, everything about it like shook me. I read for two reasons. The first is to know that I'm not alone with my weird, crazy feelings in my head, that someone else out there feels the way I do. Um, And the second is that I feel like in literature, 
It's the one way that I can step into someone else's shoes and see the world through their eyes and, and, and gain a greater understanding. Um, and I feel like literature allows us to do that in a way that film and TV do not like any other media does not. And, um, and so, because I know that I have my own experience, it's very finite and I'm very wrapped up in myself. And so I really, I want to be able to, to expand my perspective. And so, and when a book does both, that's the best, right? When I can see out, when I can experience something else and be like, oh, now I understand. And also feel that like, oh, they, they have these same feelings that I do. So, um, that was what happened with Kim's book and, and actually every book that Kim writes. It's just, I just fell in love hard with her writing and her voice and her storytelling and everything that she's trying to accomplish in her novels. Um, in the same way, uh, when I first read Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas, I was filled with delight. I just, I just loved I loved how identity was inherent in the fantasy. I loved how um, he was writing about um, families that don't understand, but still love each other and want to try and overcome those differences and in inclusivity in a really beautiful way. Um, and plus then on top of that, it's like a cemetery toys, just like Kim's novel, Cemetery Boys is doing multiple things. It's a grounded fantasy, but it's also a family story. It's also a friendship story. It's also a romance. Um, there's a mystery, like it works on many levels and, and the writing is just absolutely delightful. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. And then with the most recent one, it's a horror. I love horror. <laughs> I really love horror. If anybody out there is writing a great horror, send it my way. I don't care what category it is. It could even be a picture book. Uh, <laughs> um, I love to be scared. And, but I, and I really love the idea of, is it real or is it all in my head? Mm. And that is what this horror is doing. It also is playing with the idea of um, like being like, am I possessed? Is some other demon inside me or is it me? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I'm being a little vague, but it's great. And um, it also has, um, it, it also has uh, some delicious like friendship problems. I'm always intrigued with how people get, I love relationship relationships and how people get along. I'm, fascinated with what motivates people. And I'm also fascinated with the idea of, um, in fact, Barry Eisler, who's a, he's a crime and um, spy thriller writer. He said it perfectly. He says, no villain looks in the mirror and thinks I'm a bad guy. Like they, <laughs> instead, they always have a reason. It may not be a good reason, but they can justify their actions. And I am fascinated with why, what motivates people and how they justify their actions. And I really love characters who do bad things for all the right reasons and sometimes for the wrong, but that how they justify it. So, especially in horror. <laughs> <laughs> to give credit, so the, the manuscript that you're talking about now, is this Aiden Thomas's? You no, didn't say the one? name the of the, the, the latest one. Yeah, the horror one. 
No. Or are we not talking about the name of that? I'm not talking about Aiden anymore. All right. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. Well, I will say, I mean, point one, uh, get you an agent who can be this this sort of salesperson and marketer and champion of your work uh, that you are because you've just sold copies or you're out here doing doing the work to tell copies of This Is My America and Cemetery Boys. So on behalf of Kim and Aiden, you know, thanks for thanks for being a good champion. Yeah. Um, but how, I mean, okay, so this is the part where we get into your marketing experience, I suppose. Okay. Um, I, I didn't mean to, but you're you're out here selling. I mean, how do you how do you how do you balance those aspects of yourself as someone who's mm. reading things both to love them personally as well as to work towards marketing them? Does that color the way that you read? Uh, sometimes it does. Like for example, I just got a picture book text in that I think is beautiful. It made me cry. My client will know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I really love this client. I love their writing and I love this story. I love what they're trying to do. And I worried that maybe I was too close to it because of all of those things. Um, and that's the great thing about being a part of Andrew Brown Literary Agency. I have a lot of colleagues that I can go to and say exactly that, um, that like, you know, I, feel this way about like, as a parent does for their baby and the, you know, their baby is just so beautiful and maybe the baby's actually ugly, but you know, you think (laughs) it's really beautiful. You know, is is that what's happening here? Because I love this so much and, and my colleagues will, you know, help me and gives me some feedback when I need that extra feedback. Does they agree though, the baby's beautiful. <laughs> just, to be clear. Just, yeah, right. Just to put it out there. Objectively. Does does Andrea Brown also have because I've heard this about other literary agencies, do they have um a part of their agency designated just for marketing and like helping when once you've sold a book, like helping to market, like helping the client specifically market their uh, book? we do not have that specifically, but we but many of us have that expertise and Um, we all support our clients with that. Um, But like, for example, if we share a lot, we share internally a lot about market. So we don't have like a designated marketing department, but we provide, like I provide those services to my clients. I talk to my clients about it. Um, We share, we share marketing tips. We like, I, we, we talk on Slack and I talk on Slack with my colleagues all day long. In fact, I just turned it off so it wouldn't click clack while we're having, <laughs> yeah, having this We would understand. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and so, no, we don't have like a specific department, but, but we all work on it and we all share yeah. it and talk about it. Yeah. It's a big job. So it's nice to have extra yeah. hands. Yeah. Do you come from an agency background? I do not. I always worked in-house. Yeah. Product copy is my all day, every day. So I love product copy. My best product copy job was I wrote, um, I had some, uh, some friends hired me to, they were, they started a teen tween, um, hair salon and they did their own products. So their own hair products. So I got to name them all. Oh, fun. Write all the product copy. And it was so much fun. Yeah. Like for hairspray and it was glam in a can. (laughs) <laughs> and then um, the moisturizing shampoo is get rich quick. And yeah, so we, I had so much fun with that. The one product that I'm sad that they didn't make, they, they were going to do a dry shampoo. And, um, and so, and like all of the product copy was very tongue in cheek. And, and so I, I said, 
So you know that you, so you know the and it was always very conversational in the product company. So you know, like when you don't have time to take a shower, yeah, we got you covered. We <laughs> use and I can't remember what we called the dry shampoo. Use a, a couple squirts of this and you're good to go. But we can't help you with your BO. <laughs> But they nice. didn't, and I thought for sure they were like, we can't say this. They were like, we love this. And I was like, great. But then they didn't make that one. But it was very fun. Yeah. But I mean, speaking of the other opportunities, I mean, I know you joined Andrea Brown in 2016 and you mm -hmm. profess that it is your dream job. And I can understand why it is and how it is based on how you talk about your clients. But I mean, what, what took you from that, from marketing and PR hmm. to the agenting side? Uh, because I really love, I really love literature. I love, um, I went and when I was working, I took some time off and went and got an MFA at creative writing, um, from Mills college. And I just fell in love with it and love, and I fell in love with reading and I fell in love with editorial. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's fun to work <laughs> in marketing, but this, this allows me to do a lot more and really mm. work with, do, do what I really love. It's, so do you write as well? Like, do you have, I have written in the past. I have some manuscripts. I do not have books out there. Um, I am not, I am not writing right now. Um, I don't think I'm going to write. Um, I really love what I do and I really get great, um, satisfaction doing editorial. And I think I'm good at it and I, and I'm striving to become better every day. So you're not currently looking for representation. I'm not looking for representation. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not right. I'm not working to compete. No, I still write for myself, but not anybody else. Yeah. And that's, that's probably copy. the best. Yeah. yeah. What, I mean, what, what kind of a path was it? So you, you go to get your MFA and what mm -hmm. kind of a path was it for you to then become an agent? Do you intern and shadow? I interned, I shadowed, I assisted for almost for three and a half, almost four years. And then I became an agent, yeah, like everybody. Yeah. And was this at Andrea Brown? I got the chance to work at Andrea Brown, yes. I, I met Laura and had a chance to, to work for her. At that point in time, they were still doing internships, so I interned for a while. And then I got a hired as an assistant, and then went from there. To take another tack, you've talked about um, in-person stuff a lot. And... Uh, we got connected through our conversation with Caitlin, where she professed, you know, her <laughs> having a conversation with you in the bathroom at a conference and then, <laughs> I don't know, fo following you outside or so, however it transpired. But I mean, you've talked about conferences as being places where you can connect with people, not just in a, a potential client sense, but in, in a in a meaningful sense. I'm, I'm curious how how much of your client base or how much of your significant relationships come from stuff like that versus cold querying? Uh, well, it's changed during the pandemic. I used mm. to do a lot of conferences um, and I would meet a lot of people who were on my radar. And even if they weren't ready for me yet, um, I would just kind of keep my eye on them and they might query me off and on. And then when they were finally ready, I would offer to them. Um, so as that, uh, on a side note, if you queried too early, it's okay. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm actually looking for people who can revise and um, and improve and grow and that are serious about their craft. That said, don't lob a million books at me at once. Mm -hmm. Time, space it out. Let me breathe. But um, but during the pandemic, of course, I have not been able to do in person 
events. Um, but what I do love about conferences, I meet people in person. I get a chance to talk to them. Um, I like, I do a lot of, uh, one-on-ones with people when I'm there. My whole goal is to maximize my time. So I always tell everybody, grab me wherever you want, ask me questions, talk to me. It's okay. That's not true of all agents. Most people do not want to be talked to in the bathroom, but I don't mind as long as, <laughs> as long as it's, you know, you're in their bathroom that you're supposed to be in or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, the other thing that's great about conferences is that it's a great place for me to network and meet other agents. I've met a lot of friends that way. Um, so we can kind of talk about best practices, um, which is wonderful. And I've met a lot of editors that way where I've been able to have some real one-on-one time with them and get to know mm -hmm. them as people instead of just a 15 minutes, what's your wish list? What are you looking for? What books have you published? You know, that we can actually know each other as persons. And, and, that, and that's also been great. So I'm starting to do conferences again. I'm going to SCBWI Nebraska in the end of June. Oh, and I'm going to SB, SCBWI Carolinas in September. And then uh, our, our agency Big Sur workshop is happening in Cape Cod in May, actually in two weeks. And then again, our, our Big Sur workshop, writing workshop in December in Monterey, I think it's this year. So wait a minute, wait a minute. So sorry, I just want to, because I'm thinking, wait, Big Sur. We call, it Big Sur. we call it Big Sur. It was always held in Big Sur. Okay. Then, then we started offering it also in Cape Cod. So it's like Big Sur, the Big Sur workshop in Cape Cod. Okay. <laughs> Got and it. They call it Big Sur of the East, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. Because I'm like, wait a minute. Because I, I mean, I lived in California for a little while. It was much further north. So I lived in South Lake Tahoe for like six years. Oh, and then yeah. Truckee for a little bit, right? Yeah. And so I've been to San well. Yeah. And I've been, so I've been to San Francisco just like a handful of times. So I don't know it super well. But I also, and I spent some time a little further away than that. I was working at a camp for a while and we did like a whole day in Monterey and we went to the aquarium and there was surfing that I taught and like, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. But so, so I just was doing the the uh, geography in my head and I was like, wait, this is neither. So we, so we used to always have it at the Pfeiffer State Lodge in Big Sur. Um, yeah. Last year we weren't able to get the lodge, so we did it in Monterey. And I think I think this year we're also doing it again in Monterey, but I, I'm very cool. Yeah, I Monterey. Be wrong. Monterey is yeah. Monterey is very it's cool. beautiful. Yeah. I'm curious on on behalf of authors, um, and, and and I'm public that I do. I mean, I'm curious on behalf of authors. That's why we're doing this <laughs> this whole podcast. I guess this, this is the whole this, point. This, yeah. <laughs> an hour in. That's why we're here. I'm letting you know. Um, right. I, 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 uh, I mean, we've talked about this already. I've, I've got a day job. I've also got a couple of kids and I, and this is very on the side for me, uh, the right. writing stuff. Um, I'm curious how important you feel it is for writers to take part in opportunities like this, to connect in person, to do conferences. I mean, pandemic aside, mm -hmm. obviously, how, how important is it for folks to do that or to find other ways to connect At, speaking both you know, on behalf of myself as someone who I, I, I can't carve out of the time or make time from, you know, my day job to part participate in stuff like that, unless it's super local. Um, but also on, on behalf of the people that don't necessarily have the resources to do that, that are right. pursuing right. this, um, but, but can't pay for travel, can't pay for attendance to SCBWI or conferences. Of or course. So I don't think it's necessary. First and foremost, I don't think it's necessary. I have also signed people out of my query box 
uh, Kim Johnson came into my query box. I hadn't met her before. Um, and we corresponded by email and then on a phone call. It, it, I would later did go to a conference um, in Portland so, so I could meet her in person. So that's another reason why I like to go to conferences. Like I have a client who lives in the Carolinas and I'm going to get to finally meet her in person because of it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, so that's a great thing about conferences for me as well, but it is absolutely not necessary. And my heart goes out to everybody who cannot afford it. Um, and I am well aware that that is a problem. Um, pre pandemic, I used to do a lot of free events in the city in San Francisco. I used to joke, if I can ride my bike there, I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it once a month. Uh, and I'll probably do those again. And we would get a lot of people, I hope, yeah, I did it specifically for free that you could come and, and not have to pay anything and be able to have access to me. Um, but I don't think it's necessary to have to do that at all. It's a nice thing, but it's not necessary. What I do think is important, no matter what, is that you should have a critique group of some kind. You should be working with other writers and not just beta readers. I think it's important to work with other writers, not just to get feedback on your work, but to also get to give feedback on their work. Because when you give feedback, it's important to see other rough drafts. I think it's helpful informing of your process, especially if you see a, a rough draft um, blossom into something wonderful. First of all, that's inspiring. And it's also um, encouraging, like, oh, it's possible. Um, but the other thing is, is once you start to look at other people's rough work and you start to think about it editorially, you will see, because you're not emotionally attached to it, you'll be able to see what, um, the, what the project needs and you'll think of ideas and ways that, it, that to elevate it. And you might just happen to recognize something that you're doing as well in your own work. And so now that you've figured it out how to help the other person, you can take that same advice and apply it to your own work and it will help you with the revision process. I, yeah, I, I love, I love that last part that you mentioned because it reminds me, I saw, I think it was a Twitter post by somebody, you know, a while ago and she was like, have you ever gone through your own manuscript and, you know, like in Google docs and made your own comments like your own critique comments on the side oh, and I was like that is brilliant I did it just this morning with this new draft I've been battling with hmm. for months Josh has read like all 30 drafts of it and I I went through and redrafted again this morning and I but like you know your brain works so quickly sometimes that you can't always keep up and I'm like well I want to make a note up here but I have to write this thought down real quick so I went through and I made I made all of my own critique notes on this doc to like remind myself of things or to like suggest things or ask a question and I feel like it's very helpful and also I can only do this at this point after having critiqued you know a bunch of my partners as well and so what you're saying yeah the give and take of that and trying to figure out wait, does, you know, did the point of view switch here? Like, does this voice still work? You know, does this feel like a holdover from an old draft? I, you know, I don't know. So like stuff like that, or, you know, is there enough tension? Where's the heart? Like, what am I actually trying to say? Like those kinds of questions, I don't think I was capable of asking myself, you know, when I first started. It's hard. Which, yeah. Right. Which incidentally, I was laughing when you said, um, 
you know, if you query too soon, it's not a big deal. So Josh and I, I know for a fact, both queried you way too soon when we first started <laughs> with our with our rough, like rhyming manuscripts, which, you know, we were just starting. We're like, oh, this is so easy. You definitely write in rhyme, first of all, right? Like that's the first rule. And then you should definitely just send it to, you know, the agent you think is going to be like, you know, the best like one. Like the highest profile. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, like go for the biggest one right away. Definitely. Like don't get it critiqued. I mean, why would you, what's that for? You know, what's that about? So like, <laughs> I just thought that was very funny because yes, you know, critiquing or sorry, querying too soon is definitely like a thing. I feel it. like, yeah, it's you do because okay. you just don't know. You don't know until you know. So I, I appreciate that you're so, you know, you're so understanding too. Like that's a thing. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You can always like resubmit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is where yeah. we confront you. About all of your bad things. No, I'm, this is hour two, hour two of the podcast. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I love that idea of making comments near in draft, though. Uh, I'll take yeah. that one more. I'll take one step further, though. I'll just tell you how I do editorial, and I keep trying yeah. to figure out a different way. Like, could I be faster or whatever? Um, especially if I'm looking at something with more big picture stuff. The way that I and I do it no matter. Actually, I do it no matter what. I can't help myself. Um, I will read a PDF and usually my iPad, and then I don't make notes on the manuscript. I make notes, in my, my journal and I'm able, and I track things that way. And I just write down the page number as a reference, and then I'll write down my notes. Um, and then that allows me to think through what's happening. And every once in a while, if, the, if there are certain themes, I'll, I might even carve out a spot and say, okay, these are some areas that I think need work. And then once I get through all of that, then I will go back through all of my notes and really look at it and think like, what are the big standouts? Where was I just being cranky? What, where was I just being confused, but actually it's told later mm -hmm. in the story, mm -hmm. but it just needs to be earlier because I find if I just do margin comments, for example, say I'm looking at your, your novel and I'm like, well, wait, what happened here? Wait, this is confusing. This is confusing. And then it doesn't come till much later in the book, like on page 50. And, but I think it needs to actually be on page 10. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd rather write that in a letter to you. Like, Hey, um, in this current draft, it's a, it's a little confusing. And we find out much later that, that this is the piece. And I think that what you really need to do is just put this in the beginning. However, if someone read this with my comments, they'd be like, you know, they see this, but what about this? But what about this? What about this? Yeah. And in their head, they might think like, well, it's coming. Just hold on a minute. <laughs> and, and so I, so I found that it's actually helpful for me to do that for many reasons. It, it helps me see things more big picture. I don't know if that's helpful to anyone else, but um, writing things down in my notebook and sort of sorting out my thoughts um, is really great. I think those inline comments have their own value. I mean, I, that's, that's oh, the same no, experience. I agree. No, I agree with you too. The The other thing is though, I will say this and everyone can know this as well. I don't actually usually give inline comments because usually when I'm working with my clients, it's more of a bigger, um, a bigger picture letter. Um, I will give a list of inline comments at the end, but I don't put them in the manuscript. Um, because also usually I want them to, to look at more big picture stuff. And if we do a lot of line level stuff in the beginning, then it becomes very precious. It's hard when you've worked so much at the line level to let them go. Mm. I mean, especially acknowledging that the editorial process is going to either kill or call into question 
potentially a lot mm-hmm. of those line level changes that you're making. Exactly. But also, yeah, I think you're talking about picture book, right? Yeah, but I mean, bro- broader conversation. But no, no, well. I'm talking yeah. more that what I just was describing about was novel. With a picture book, I do in I do margin comments on, because it's so short. So I usually do a paragraph, two paragraph letter, and then I'll do the margin comments as well. But for a novel, um, I do a letter. Yeah, and you can kind of summarize and not draw them through, you know, the experience of going through like, well, just wait, just wait, just wait is coming. That sort of <laughs> well, journey. and also the yeah. other thing is, though, is that um, I think it's helpful. And I will also say this is my process, but I also really want to work with my clients and provide the best value for them. And I always encourage them to tell me like, this worked, this didn't, or I need more of this, or I need, like, I see it as a process that we're working together and learning how to work together. Um, so, and that we're both growing. Um, but with the editorial, with um, letters, I think it's sometimes helpful to read a letter and then just sit with it for a few days or mm-hmm. even a week or two weeks and just let it percolate and let you think about ideas and then dive in. Whereas when you go into with margin notes, it's easy to just like be like spot fix, spot fix, spot fix. Yeah, that's true. Especially I know when I get, when I get, you know, a critique back or all the feedback back on something, it's, it's, it's nice to have all of the side, you know, the margin comments. Cause it is like, okay, cool. Like I can just go in and fix this thing or this thing or this thing. But I find myself really staring hard at the ones that are like, okay, so you know, this might be a place to add more heart or feeling or, you know, wherever, or like, could you show instead of tell? And those are not as easy to fix. And so it, it makes me feel really stuck. And just on that spot too, like, okay, I have to really insert something here. That's like show versus tell, as opposed to let's take a sweeping look at the manuscript and sort of like weave it in so that it's not so glaringly obvious here when I'm trying to make a transition or, you know, whatever. Cause it makes me feel really productive when I can just be like, okay, done, 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 right? Like get rid of the comments. And then, but then you're sort of left with, well, you know, I still think I have, you know, there are still issues and like moving stuff around. And anyways, yeah, I, I also appreciate like, you know, big picture comments that are sort of like. Well, and once you've done all those little fixes, then it's harder to go to then do the big revise. Right? Totally. Totally. Cause you're like, well, I just edited this whole thing. Like it's great now. It's totally <laughs> polished. Right. You're like, why am I going to, am I going to go right. back? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I'm the same way. I'm always doing the easy stuff on my to-do list first. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it just makes you feel good. You're like, cross that off. Done. <laughs> Look at me. I'm so productive. <laughs> well, so I, I think, I mean, y- your approach summing up feedback editorially in a letter is a, is a type of feedback that I think uh, authors might benefit from be, being clear with their expectations more, not just with agents, but with critique partners in saying mm-hmm. what they want from a critique. Absolutely. Yeah. It's and all over it's, the board. Yeah. I also think it's helpful to like, say like, here's some things I'm struggling with. Here's some things I need help with. Also, I just, I don't know about the show. Don't tell feedback. Like, what does that mean? You know, like if someone wrote to me right. on this one little section, show, don't tell, like, okay. Like, uh, no, actually like what is more helpful is we don't have a good sense of what the character feels here, or we don't, or show us, uh, or 
or what's um, give us more scene here, or I don't, I can't think of a good example, but like that's, that's very vague feedback in my mind. Or even like a more pointed question, I feel like is helpful because then it's not so, it's not so heavy, like do this, don't do that. It's like, well, have you thought about what this, like, you know, what your character is thinking here or what's, what's going on? Yeah. So that, that was maybe not a good example on my part well, either. No, I mean, no, I have I think gotten it, that. No, feedback, but I think but. that, I think it is good. <laughs> and I think, because the thing is, is that the, um, and it took me a long time to learn this and thank you, Lewis Busby for showing me the way, but you actually need to show and tell. You right. don't just yes. show. And Um, I think a lot of people will hear show, don't tell, and then think like, I'm going to use a gesture to show the emotion that they're feeling. Right. And so I, when I give presentations, I always say, and I see this a lot in my man and queries that come to me, my heart was racing. Okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean that my heart's racing? Does that mean that I'm really aroused and excited with someone really hot. Does it mean I'm having a heart attack? Does it mean I'm terrified there's someone after me? Does it mean um, that um, I just won something? Does it mean that I just ran, ran for a package? I just ran a marathon and my heart is racing. I sprinted the last... 50 yards. I, I'm, I'm dying. Um, you know, it could mean so many different things and it actually doesn't, it doesn't give us anything at all. And what would be much better is for me to say, I just ran a marathon or, um, you know, or like I, my heart is coming out of my chest as I ran a marathon or, um, or like, you know, there's, there's a, you know, a monster right behind me and they look like whatever I'm doing a terrible job of this off the but <laughs> you know what I mean like there's no. someone really like I'm in bed with someone really hot right now and I'm ready to go that's going <laughs> to tell me a lot more than you know he said to me I love you and my heart was racing and even I love you and this, I'll say that with dialogue too dialogue doesn't tell us anything. And my joke is always, and I've done this other podcast and I freaked someone out. So it's good that both of you are here today. Um, you know, what does I love you mean, right? Does I love you mean like, you're like a sister to me. You're like a, your family member. Does it mean like, I love you like a friend. Does it mean like, I really want to get in your pants and I'm <laughs> say whatever I want to get in there. You know, yeah, like said one on one, that might be alarming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, my male host was like, Oh, my wife is listening to this. I'm like, no. So, but like, it could mean, I, I love you could mean so many things. Is it genuine? Is it fake? Is it, you know, is it a question? Like there's so many ways that you, depending on what the context is. And so not only do we need these gestures and do we need these, um, the, do we need the dialogue, but we need the context, we need the feelings and we need the character to tell us. That was the biggest takeaway that I got recently. I'm reading um, Mary Cole's book about how to write irresistible kidlet um, mm-hmm. because I have She's only lovely. written, yeah, well, I've only written picture books thus far, but recently I wrote a middle grade, a scary middle grade, like essay thing for nice. the CBWI, yeah, Haunted States contest. And- wow. 
it was really, really fun to write. And I, I thought it was like a really fun challenge and like a whole totally different voice. I don't write scary stuff. Usually I write funny stuff. I don't write middle grade. And I was like, this is actually really fun. So maybe I'll, you know, take it a step further and make this into a book. So I've actually been, you know, working on, you know, developing it into a novel. But Yay. I was like, yeah, so it's it's really fun. But I was like, well, I'm going to need, I should read up at least a little bit on how to write middle grade. You know, I have no idea. So I've been reading her book, but what that was one of the, the huge takeaways for me that they were like, make sure you are mixing enough information with action. Because if you just have one or the other, yeah, you can't, you, you know, you're not rounding out your character enough for us to get a feel for what is actually going on and adding dialogue and all of that, you know, what, what you said. Um, it just, it made me think of that because a lot of my, one of the drafts that I wrote initially was like very much an information dump of stuff. Cause I, you know, I didn't know how to weave it in. And I was like, but you need to know all this information, you know, so I can get to the, to the actual story. And so sort of weaving those two together is really like sort of the art of it, which is has been really interesting and really But fun. also your process might be that first you do the info dump, right? Like that you get it all down and then you can go back and massage it and, and rework it. I find that um, it's really hard to figure out how much is enough, but not too much yes. in opening pages. Yes. Because the truth is we need to have that context. We need to know and we need not too much, but we do, but we do need it. And so, and it's easy to have the mistake where you don't give enough or you give, or you give too much. And then if, if too much, it's clunky, yes. not enough, it's confusing. How do you hit that sweet spot? Who yeah. knows? I think but, that's why the prologue was invented. I mean, right? Because they're just like, here, like, let's do, let's put it up there. <laughs> let's talk about prologues for a moment. They always <laughs> come up. Here's the thing about a here's the thing about a prologue, and that is that um, most of the prologues that come into my box are either really exciting and great, and then the first chapter is like I'm in bed, I don't feel like getting out of bed, and maybe I'll just stay in bed, and mom's yelling at me to get out of bed. Like that's my life. That's boring. Like let's go back to the prologue. Why right. do you leave the prologue? Right. Um, or the prologue is like trying to be very confusing and alluring and interesting and exciting and titillating and and it's just really confusing. And then the chapter actually starts in chapter one. So I'm not sure. Every, of course, they're like every rule you can break it and do it well, but for the most part, I don't think prologues are usually necessary. That's what I've heard, yeah, across the board. Because usually, well, you should think about you know, it too. Like, how many of your favorite books have prologues, and right. how many of them are really great? Oh, this puts me in mind of George R. R. Martin, who's already writes way too long, and his pro prologues are our prologues are extremely mysterious and uh, tangential to the rest of the story. Right. So it's just yeah, you know, you with everything like all the don'ts, 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 like. If you can figure out how to do it well, break the rule. But first you need to master it. Yeah, totally. And this get I mean, this gets to the point that I was trying to make, and I distracted myself with thinking about too many things at the same time. Um, <laughs> one of the what we had talked about a half hour ago was was taking the parts that don't work about a manuscript and improving them. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen the Netflix movie The Mitchells versus the Machines? Oh, yes. I have not. Oh, it's so good. Um, it's, it's directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. 
um, the powerhouse sort of directing duo and, and tips that I heard from people that worked with them are less about improving things that don't work, although that's obviously very important as well, and more about how can you wring the most out of every single moment, either in a manuscript or in a screenplay, make it do the work for you. Of course, yeah. Um, don't don't have a prologue just to titillate or have a mystery. Have it do the work. And I mean, without we've talked about this manuscript already. Brent, I read that the manuscript that you're working on and, and working on revising, and that 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 was a, something that occurred to me is like you're writing the story that you want to write, but let's make sure that every single line and myself as well, every single line is working to deepen the story and deepen people's enjoyment of it. As so well. are we talking about a picture book again? Or are we talking about a novel? I, I mean, I'm using it as well, I, it's okay. a, it's a picture so, book manuscript, but it's trans transportable sort of guidance. Yes. So, yeah. so I would agree like every moment in a novel or a picture book should work at multiple levels it should work for characterization, for character arc. It should work for plot. It should work for theme. It should, you know, for atmosphere, for tone, for set, all of it. And and should do multiple things every, and every moment, you know, you can be a little self-indulgent in a novel, but really every moment should push the story forward. And in a picture book, that's true of the sentence and that's true of the word choice. Like every word, needs to move that story forward. Every word needs to work for multiple ways of characterization, of point of view, of story. Um, picture books are basically, you want to do everything you're doing in a novel, except in 500 words or less. You cannot self-indulge yourself. You can't do, put in throwaway lines. It has to be very, very purposeful. Um, and the best novels are purposeful. And we all know that when we get to those moments where it's just like, it drags a little. It's not, you know, it's just not that interesting or exciting or it, or it feels self-indulgent. So let's take words entirely out of the equation. Um, you you <laughs> rep illust illustrators as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's that experience been like as someone who, I mean, entered the industry? Get, as you a word got, person? Yeah, as a word person. You got your MFA in creative writing and you, you have written and you write product copy. Um, yeah. Is that? Do you feel like that's adjacent enough? Well, most of my clients that I represent are also working on um, their own writing as well. So I feel like that's kind of my, um, that's where I can help them. Um, I have a few illustrator clients who want to illustrate for now and then want to, uh, but in the meantime, are working to elevate their own writing. So, um, but yes, I love working with my illustrator clients and um I have learned a lot in terms of it's a little bit different because, you know, they're going to be working with a text and they're going to be, um, so they're still telling the story. So we'll talk about story and story placement. What I tend to do with my, with my illustrator clients too, is like helping them manage their schedules, helping them with deadlines, helping make sure they get feedback from their, from the editor, that kind of thing. So it's a lot of business on that side too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting thinking about the the notion of I, I illustrate for now, but I want to move away from that and move to words. It's a different. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about like I'm illust. So I, for example, uh, I have a client who um, is illustrating other texts right now, 
first while they're developing their own author illustrator stories. Okay, I see. Because, and uh, uh, I'll give you a really great example. Um, so Jocelyn Lee Langrand, who's one of my clients, and I'll grab her book. So I, Just I, to brag on your shelf, it's very well organized and you knew exactly where it was on the shelf, <laughs> which did. people won't be able to see. <laughs> yeah, nobody gets to see that, but I'm going to hold it for you guys. So this is If You Miss Me by Jocelyn Lee Langrand. It came out in December and it is about a little girl who um, loves her grandmother and they both love dance and the little girl always dances for her grandmother and they have phone calls about dance and her grandmother comes to visit her every once in a while and watches her dance and it's a big part of their lives. And then um, grandmother gets sick and then grandmother dies and she loses the drive to dance because her grandmother is such a big part of her life. Hmm. Before she dies, she always tells Charlie, if you miss me, look at the moon, the same moon that shines for you shines for me and I'm with you. So you can probably see where this is going. Charlie sees the moon and realizes that she's not alone. Grandma is still with her. And at the very end of the book, um, Charlie knows Grandma's still dancing with her. And I can't Aww. read this book without crying. It's really beautiful. It's the book that I wished I'd had when my when I my dad died and I wished I had it for my children. Um, it is inspiring, even though it's grief and it's um, a grief book. It's really beautiful and lovely. Anyway. It's a sad book if you miss me. And then um, in the meantime, Jocelyn got the opportunity to illustrate a book called The Year of the Cat by Richard Ho, which is coming out soon. And um, that's a big departure. It's very funny. It's very wry. It also, it's playing with the lunar calendar story. Um, if there are, there's the year of the tiger, the year of the ox, the year of the rabbit, there's no year of the cat. So you can kind of get a sense of maybe what the story is about. It's anyway, it's an absolute, it's an absolute wonderful text. We got the opportunity came into us and um, Jocelyn and I got on the phone together and I read it to her and like, we just knew like this was so Jocelyn. It was so perfect. And even though she'd written this beautiful book by illustrating Richard Ho's brilliant text, um, she learned a lot about comedic timing. Mm. And, and, and so that's going to inform her new, her future books. Like she, like by, by illustrating for Richard and seeing and Richard's story, like she kind of got into Richard's rhythm and she learned a lot from that. So that's what I mean. Like there's opportunities for illustrators. If you're working with someone else's text, you know, you can kind of stretch new muscles and try out new, uh, new areas that might be perfect for you. And, and Jocelyn is also very funny. So it like it was fun for her to experiment in that space. And now she's working on funny stories as well as beautiful stories. <laughs> That's fascinating to think about. We've talked to other author illustrators. I mean, Fred Kaler comes to mind who has illustrated books like flashlight night that are not his texts. We've talked to other folks about how, you know, it's, it is sometimes more fun to illustrate your own words because of the sense of ownership that you get over those words and that work and your control over the pacing. Um, we haven't talked about the fact that it's, it's a stretch for you artistically to adapt someone else's work and learn how to work with their words and their timing um, to make a draft work and to make the illustrations work for, for that. I think the, the art went really easily for Jocelyn. Like she just clicked with the story, but I think she learned, I think by looking at his text, she learned about comedic timing and she learned about how like, what works? When does a joke work? Like, how does the page turn work and with humor in a really fun way? 
But I would say that's true of, of every, you know, you're going to learn with everything you write. You're going to be, you're going to learn with everything you illustrate. There's, I always tell people that there is no wasted revision. You're going to learn, even if you throw it all away. Even if you wrote a book and you couldn't sell it and it's sitting festering in your laptop, you learned it is worth it. Yeah, I, w- I would say that's that true. Way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you're just like, this is like this draft I was talking about that I was working on again this morning. Like there are several drafts that I just did of it and was like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm throwing this out. Like this thing is, you know, I'm going to tear this whole thing down. But I had to write 30 drafts to get to the point to where now I feel like, okay, I think I finally got it. Like I have, you know, I can finally write it from this different point of view and, you know, hopefully it makes sense. So. Yeah, congratulations. That sounds great. (laughs) Well, I hope so. Well, Josh will be Josh will read it. He's read all 30 drafts so far, all 29, not the 30th, but (laughs) And you still like each other. (laughs) Yeah. I mean (laughs) I mean jury's out. (laughs) (laughs) We have this professional relationship and that is it. No, I'm just kidding. That's another point is finding uh, on this note that, again, we talked about earlier, uh, this finding people that you vibe with note is, uh, you know, Brenda's revision is such that I don't mind reading that stuff over and over again. Find you some (laughs) critique partners, find you an agent that doesn't mind reading your stuff over and over again and helping you through it. Because every time you learn something new and every time is um, a little bit better than it was before. Yeah, you want someone who really like gets you, who likes your work, who is your champion, who um, and who you trust, and who you, you you can get through those hard conversations together because sharing feedback, as you both know, can be a fraught situation. And even though like I'm trying to be very encouraging and supportive, you know, sometimes like I might say something that might not feel right. And we need to be able to get through that conversation and the, that hard place and emerge stronger as a result. I have been a member of Toastmasters, which I think both of you are probably familiar with, at least in general general senses, for public speaking, because I come from a, a, a background of being a very, very anxious public speaker. And one of the core tenets of that is, is feedback and evaluation being a very safe space for, mm-hmm. uh, for the person that's receiving it. No judgment here. This is all constructive. Even if I'm going to tell you that something doesn't work, I'm going to tell you that it's an, it's an opportunity to do better than before exactly. and to improve. That's why I said, don't be embarrassed if you query too early. You're learning and, you know, everyone does. Everyone does. The goal is to get better. I think that's also a good point to ha- to make about, you know, not only getting your work critiqued, but p- critiquing other people because put yourself in their shoes. You know, if you're going to say something that's like, you know, like this line is, you know, horrible or I hate this character, you know, like you would never say that because you know how that feels. So I think it's a really good. It's also not constructive. Give and take. Right. That's not helpful. I hate this character. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Now, you know, like there are things with this character that, you know, don't sit well with me and here's what they are. Or I are like, um, like unlikable characters, for example, you want a character, even I actually like unlikable characters, (laughs) Um, but Again, we want to. We need to know why they're being unlikable. We need to get underneath the the fray and understand what's motivating that behavior, so that they, even if we don't like them, we are sympathetic. Looking for characters who do bad things. Back to that. <laughs> sympathetic malefactors them. is your wish list. I do. I love. I love bad boyfriends and bad girlfriends and bad friends and bad mothers and bad fathers and. <laughs> bad bosses and 
bad teachers. Love it all. All of it. <laughs> this is going to sound strange coming from a place where we're talking about <laughs> being bad people. But I, I've, um, I don't think I've ever seen you close to queries. Do you stay open? Are you willing to read? You know, how, how uh, basically anything. This goes back to the question of access um, and wanting to be available and not having to pay to, to see me or, you know, just refer alone. I like to be open. I like to be open. I, I want to be open. I want people to be able to access me. It is a lot. I get five to 600 queries a month and it's a lot to read and parse. And I know I'm missing stuff sometimes because I'm reading too fast and I apologize to all of you. There are plenty of things that I've missed and I see it go on to get them go on to get an agent and sell and like, oh, I blew it. Like I missed, I just missed, I just missed it. Um, so some of it also for all of you who are querying, sometimes it's just timing too. Like you might get me when I'm more a little bit more open or just not quite so frazzled or um, like on a really good night when I just happen to read it. It's the perfect, perfect moment for me to see your book. Um, so for the most part, I do like to stay open. Every once in a while I have closed just to catch up. But usually when I do, then I get really slammed. Then when I open back up, so like I closed for December this year and I did have a break and I was able to catch up, but then I had like close to, I don't know, 800 queries the next month. So oh my gosh. would it have just been better to just let it go, you know, just have it moderated? I don't know. Right. You, you read everything yourself. I do. Um, right now I, I, because I was getting so many queries, I had, I'd had some help, but I read it. I read as well. What, so then what catches my attention? It's gotta be a really great pitch and it's gotta be really good, um, opening pages. And I always tell, I challenge everybody, send me a great first line, like hook me right away, grab me. Give me a declarative sentence that raises a question in my mind that I have to know the answer. Better yet, two or three. Say it in terrific voice and just grab me. Um, I don't get that very often. I would love to get it. I encourage everybody to do it. Um, but yeah, it's it is a lot to read. It's a lot to catch up. And sometimes I have to go very fast and be ruthless. And I don't like to be ruthless. And when I first started, I couldn't help myself. I would send a lot of notes and now I just simply can't. So I have canned emails that say, I really wish I could give you notes because I want to, but I just don't have time. Mm. And just and please, you know, we have a no means I am with me, no means not yet. And with our agency policy is um, if you get a pass, you can always requery with a, a significant revision in six months or try and, you know, to me or someone else at our agency or a new project. It's a lot of reading, but again, to this note about access, um, it speaks to how willing you are to help sort of foster the community and put yourself out there and be better. And I, I wanted to ask about the, the your social media presence as well. Oh. Um, <laughs> I faltered a little bit lately. I try to, I try to give a lot of tips, but um, when I get, you can tell when I get busy, I get quiet on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess the point that I'm trying to make or the, or the connective tissue that I'm trying to create there is being out there probably makes you more busy. Uh, I would think. Mm, yeah. Um, offering tips and showing yourself as someone, you know, with experience and openness to engage with folks. Yeah. is going to flood your inbox. And, uh, you know, you could be a quieter agent and receive less, but then again, you might miss something. It's just hard to, it's hard to balance. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there are a lot of people, like I said, that, um, I see 
a lot of potential in them early on, but they're not ready yet. And I want to make sure that I'm there when they are ready. I want, I want my door to be open. There's a few people in particular that I, I, I'm watching them every once in a while. I ping them. What's going on with that project? Oh, interesting. I feel like that would be that would be very exciting as an author or illustrator, or author illustrator. Jennifer you know, <laughs> yeah, like right. That yeah, that's very cool. Um, I just wanted to ask because I mean, we've had you've been so generous with your time. Like we've already been on for you know quite a while. Um, I just wanted to ask if there if there was anything that you felt, you know, you wanted to, to tell people while you were on the podcast, like anybody who is listening or querying you or um, starting out? I mean, we've covered a lot. I think if you're starting out, most importantly, read, read a lot, read in your category, read outside your category, know who the publishers are. If you love a book, look in the back and see who represented it, see, uh, the author, see who edited the book. Keep track of your favorite books. Um, people freak out about comps for their work, but it it shouldn't be as hard if you are, like if you're a YA writer, read a lot of YA, read the books that you'd like your book to be featured with on the, on the table in the bookstore. Um, and, um, and think about, and try to read editorially, think about what really works for you and when it doesn't, how could it be better? Um, continue to work on your class. I, I think getting craft books, practicing, practice your writing every chance you get. If you're anything like me, you're writing all the time. You're writing emails, you're texting, you know, try to be clever, try to play with your language, you know, delight your audience, no matter who they are <laughs> and um, write, you know, cleverly crafted emails and texts and wordplay and tweets, like take advantage of all those opportunities. And probably most importantly is this is a really hard business to succeed and success means a lot of different things. Um, there, this is a process rife with rejection. Um, even me, like I said, like I get rejected from people that I offer representation to, I take pro client projects on submission and we get rejected. Um, there's, it just will happen at every stage and there, and the stakes will be different at every stage. So it's really important to celebrate the triumphs, big and small, and enjoy writing. Like, do it because you love it. Don't do it because you're trying to make a lot of money. I'm not even disappointed. I'm trying to make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Celebrate when you write a great sentence. Celebrate when you find that perfect word. Celebrate when you finally figure out that scene. Celebrate when you get an agent. Celebrate when you sell your book. Celebrate. You know, when you get a star review. Celebrate. And then even after all that stuff happens, still celebrate that sentence or that perfect scene or or that aha epiphany about your story. Yeah, I think that's great advice because, I mean, you have to, yeah, you have to celebrate the small stuff or you get bogged, you just get bogged down. And try as, you much, as, as much as you can to not compare yourself. And I have trouble with this and everyone I know has trouble with this, but everyone's path is different. And slow doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Well, we appreciate the time that you've given. I know we're probably coming up on lunchtime, San Francisco time. But yeah, this has been an amazing, far-ranging conversation. 
so far yeah, ranging so that we've been able to range back to topics that we'd already already covered and do so more uh, more broadly. Yeah. Well, good. Well, enjoy. Good luck editing this one. <laughs> <laughs> you were right when you said enjoy, not good luck. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, thank you so, so much, Jennifer. You were so generous with your time. We just, we really appreciate having you on. It was great. We've been looking forward to it for a while. So. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm honored. Thank you very much. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind our cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show renegenerate.com and joshmoncourts.com. See you next verse. Bye.